0: Welcome to Substance Free 02043, brought to you by Hingham Cares. I'm your host, Kristin Root, and I am Program Director of Hingham Cares. Our mission is to reduce substance use among youth in our community. We want our kids to make healthy choices around drugs and alcohol, so we provide information to teens, parents, and the community at large about the risks associated with teen substance use. With us today is someone who is engaged in groundbreaking work within the recovery community, Willie Ostegai is a lieutenant with the Boston Fire Department, where he manages their employee assistance program, and the founder of the first recovery high school in Massachusetts. He also happens to be the uncle of Chris Meyer, who is the founder of Mudhouse Media, with whom we're producing this podcast. Welcome, Willie. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you. So let's start by having you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I grew up in South Boston. I moved to Georgia, so. and I've been in Quincy for about 40 years spent 40 years in the fire department. Actually, I worked with Chris's dad. He was on the, about six or seven of us on the same family on the department, which isn't unusual.
0: Could you share your personal story with us? How old were you? I can share some of it, sure. Okay, great.
1: No. I uh, actually got into recovery in about a week. It'll be 52 years ago. Congratulations. Better this way. I wouldn't be 75, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But at any rate, um, I came. Things fell into place departmentally, you know, through my whole career, so you know, and went up through the ladder, different ranks and different things. We set up a program in the fire department, you know, for our members and their families, and then we set it up with the international. And you know, it, it's it's progress. I mean, at the beginning, you know, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, from a labor standpoint, I was always involved with labor, but uh, at one point, labor actually had. In their contract to take like a beer break. You know, no kidding. People just shake their head. It's like, what? That can't be real. It's like, take a look. Right. Take a look at the history. You know, but things have changed. They've evolved. And for the better, You know, a lot of people's lives have been saved. We've saved a lot of, and I won't say we saved, but we've reached out to a lot of the members' children because that's a major problem. We did some research there. We've, we've done some work there, and some of it has been very good. It's an it's an interesting concept when you look at that. Mm-hmm. I know we we're researching it. I want to say there was seventy six thousand kids in Mass that had substance abuse problems in high school. Wow, sixteen thousand of them might have got treatment. The other seventy the other sixty, I guess they were just forgotten. They were lost souls. But mm. the sixteen thousand were going back to their respective schools, and everybody they get their drugs from, and everybody they use with is there. You know, it's like some like getting somebody with an alcohol problem and sitting in a bar stool and see how long they're going to last. It just, it wasn't working. So, out of that evolved and, you know, there was a, a lot going on then. Actually, the Labor Secretary now, Marty Walsh, was part of the equation and now he's the head of the AFL-CIO, Steve Tolman. He was the senator then. Brian Walsh was a rep. But we put it together. We ended up putting together. Steve and I went to Minnesota. We come back. We got the recovery high school concept in place they were very good to us they were more than willing to share their information with us and they they did they opened it've been open for 16 years and it, it's ironic my wife ran into uh she hit the registry which is a nightmare by itself <laughs> but it, she was down there i don't know she was renewing her license or something and she was at a window and she said her last name and the woman in the next window down said oh my daughter graduated from there. She said she's a nurse. She's got a couple of kids. No kidding. That's what counts.
0: Hearing those success stories it you must need be to hear very them. gratifying.
1: Yeah. One of the kids, there's a couple of scholarships that are given out every year, and actually, Kick Murphy's, the Clatter Fund gives them out. And the, the young lady was getting it. She's, she's getting a full ride to Tufts. These aren't people that aren't intelligent. Right. They're going to be intelligent just to survive on the street. Right. You no. Know.
0: You are a person in recovery yourself, correct? That's true. Does that drive the work that you do?
1: Oh, yeah. I wouldn't even, it wouldn't be on the radar screen if, it, if I wasn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know why I would.
0: The evolutionary process where you started as a firefighter, you had your own substance use issues, you started working on your sobriety, and then from there came the employee assistance program, and out of that stemmed the concern for these kids and the development of these sober High pretty schools, much recovery was, high schools.
1: That was pretty the pretty much the the road that was followed. Yeah.
0: And what kind of a time span are we looking at from start to, you know, the opening of the doors of the high school?
1: It probably took about two years because it, it wasn't easy to do. And there's no question about it. And a lot of a lot of people it takes a village. I mean, a lot of them put time and effort into it. But the uh, we went to the city council. We went to the school committee. Everybody, as usual, thinks it's a great idea, but the the bottom line ends up being money right now it's funny we had three kids from here going to school in minnesota
0: oh no kidding you know, so because when, they offered when that we, program
1: because the they had 10 at the time and i said hmm interesting with the hub of the universe we have to send three kids to minnesota right well, that didn't sit well with me and uh others but we ended up uh one of the young ladies she came back for the summer naturally in uh she went to the school committee with us, and actually a friend of mine was on the school committee. and He said, "Well, I thought all schools were supposed to be sober." And I mean, young kids don't have an off switch. She said, "You must live on Mars, Mister," <laughs> and then put him right in his place, which I, I couldn't be happier. You know, it's just a good guy, but I mean, where else are you going to get your stuff? Where else? You, who else? Everybody you party with, right? So, I mean, you got to use some common sense. Uh, it was it was a simple idea, and it's working.
0: And what is the application process like?
1: You have naturally you have to be um, you have to have a substance abuse problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We had to have the Boston Teachers Union if they didn't sanction it, it wasn't going to happen. You know, so you got to learn how to play in a couple of different areas. Right. You know, between the politicians, between the school committee. It's ironic. I was on with one of my cohorts in Florida last week from New York. The Department of Education in New York didn't think it was necessary. I'm looking like, really? it's amazing. <laughs> I just you shake your head. It's like, you know, you think you're making progress, and then, you know, the stigma that goes with it, you know, everybody else that's got a disability, you know, is being dealt with. That population should be dealt with. Otherwise, what we found was the young kids were going to jail, the boys, mm-hmm. and the girls were usually having a little, you know, having a baby, their education, everything went out the window. If they weren't sober, and they never an education, they were, they were doomed anyways. Right.
0: Yeah. It's so tragic.
1: It's simple to watch too. I mean, it's if you watch it, everybody wants to call it everything but what it is. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a lot of denial. I mean, oh, there's sure. stigma, and then there's denial also, and those. Oh, and his parents too. Exactly. You know. So you've touched on this a little bit. What have you what kind of trends have you seen over time in terms of societal awareness of the risks associated with substance use, underage substance use? You know, Obviously, police officers aren't taking cases of beer away from kids and sending them on their way anymore, and there's a reason for that. So what have you seen over the past several decades that you've been doing this work that's changed?
1: I'm smiling because I used to be one of those kids.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they would steal it back from them. No, it's just uh, early on it was basically alcohol, you know. But a lot of these substances were around, just a lot of people weren't using them, mm-hmm. you know. I, my father's generation, my father law I mean, they were all smoking dope when they were in World War Two. You know, everybody thinks they invented the wheel here. Right. Not the case, I mean, go back to the Roman Empire, it wouldn't, it'd still be there if they went all, you know, eating cocaine, the cocaine leaves and stuff. It d- destroys a lot of things, it destroys everything, actually. Families, marriages, your life eventually. Try to set some programs up so people can get help. It was booze at the beginning, and it was booze and drugs. And you know, you'd see everybody's, you know, the opiates is one thing, we've all gone through it. It's still there, but fentanyl was there now. That was, it's really not even existing. I mean, I've gone out to Vancouver when Marty was the mayor, and we were out there for a convention, and we looked at the, uh, some of the sites they were talking about. In my world, because our headquarters is right on Mass and Cass. Out in Vancouver, they make Mass and Cass look like it was a kindergarten.
0: Uh, could you just explain what Mass and Cass is for those who don't, who are unfamiliar with it?
1: Mass and Cass is an area of the city of Boston. Mass and Cass is Massachusetts Avenue and Melina Cass Boulevard. That's where they intersect. But the thing they have there, they have a shelter. They have a methadone clinic. They get the shelter. So they're coming from all around. They're coming from everywhere whether it's Hingham, Quincy, Doxbury you know Roxbury Dorchester oh that's where everybody's at so now you've got three four hundred people walking around Tent city you know they, it's a mess down there you know my old place of work our headquarters is right there we've had a cordon the whole thing off you know they're putting the people out of business down there right yeah you know, and it just most of them are messed up but it's like a haven for that particular population.
0: From what you've seen, do uh, the majority of these adults, did they start using substances at a younger age? Or are you finding that there are people in recovery or you know, people battling addiction who started using at an older age? Do you know kind of what, roughly what the percentage is, teen versus older? Start? I, I
1: would actually, in my opinion, I'd be shocked if everybody down there Didn't start in their teens. yeah, And then they just progressed. And if they ended up having an addictive personality, this is the route they were going to end up. And some of them don't want to get straight. That's Mm -hmm. their life. They don't want housing. They don't want a lot of things.
0: In the prevention world, we talk about two keys to prevention. One is adult parental role modeling. So modeling good behavior for kids. And the other is access. So limiting access, to your point, you just said, you know, these things w- were, avail- were available, but they weren't readily available. So limiting access is certainly a protective factor as well. What do you attribute the extent of what you've been seeing, the extent of what you saw in Vancouver, what you see on Melnia Cass? What do you attribute that to?
1: I mean, I think everybody's doing what they think is the right thing, but a lot of them are would- Uh, I just don't, I don't buy into a lot of it, to be honest. You mean people in the field? Yeah. It's just, and I've been doing it for a long time. I mean, I'm the chairman of the board of the Gavin. I mean, we've been doing it for a long time. We've got men's houses. We just opened a woman's house. We've got adolescent programs, which is a feeder system actually for the high school. Okay. Because we're trying to educate them while they're, you know, they're getting back on their feet. Mm -hmm. But I said it to one of my friends, he's a doc. I said, what are you going to put the world on suboxone? It's a level three narcotic, it's like, come on. I've seen people try to get off of it. It's it's worse than the stuff that they're on. It's just it, and I know they're trying. Sometimes I don't know if the docs can't figure it out so they want to medicate it. It's like that's not the answer. Education's the answer. You know, long-term treatment's the answer.
0: So you say education, we're obviously in the prevention fields. We're a prevention coalition. And one of the things that we do is we educate, as I mentioned in the, my little intro, we educate teens and parents in the community on the risks and the harms associated with underage use, specifically underage use, because we want to prevent kids from going down that road of using substances. In your experience, can you speak to why it's so risky for young people to use substances? Why does it make it that much more dangerous than for, say, folks in their 20s and 30s?
1: Well, the you start. I mean, if the average age is experimenting at 13, I mean, they emotionally they stop growing. I mean, what are you, do, what are you, what are you doing in the first place? Mm. I mean, now you've got somebody that's 20 years old that really has the mind of a 13-year-old, and they're making decisions like a 13-year-old. And if you don't intervene, they're going to continue to do that, and it's going to get worse.
0: Are you seeing more of a trend in marijuana use and abuse I've since it's been legalized? A, you know,
1: it's it's always been there anyways. Right. And usually there's, I mean, alcohol's always in there somewhere because you know, they get to maintain. But I listen to
0: some people, it's like, man, where the, where are you coming from? You haven't got a clue. What are some yeah. of the most common misconceptions you've heard? I think you said it a couple of minutes ago. They just
1: deny that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. Or if they see the problem, they dress it up as anything they want to, but what it actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's tough to combat that. Those kids, are, are not going away. They're going to be somebody's headache. And the money that, if through their lifetime, and I forget what the, the figures were at the time, but if you get one person using substances, and say it's a young lady, she ends up on subsidized housing, she ends up on this, she ends up on that, she ends up losing and never getting an education. If you're looking at dollar figures, the dollar figure, by the time that's over, is astronomical. Right. Why don't you just get us some help long-term may or may not work. I'm not saying everything is going to be rosy.
0: Well, you mentioned that ripple effect earlier, how someone's substance use can damage a family, can damage their uh, career, can do all kinds of damage. Now you're talking about economic damage. When you were looking into the impact of adult substance use on kids, like parents who use and the impact that it has on the children, was that kind of cutting-edge thinking at the time when you were really looking into it? Was there much data that you could rely upon at that point?
1: There wasn't a whole lot, but if the child gets straight and mom and dad are using it when they go home, well, how long do you think it's going to take before the kid jumps on board and...
0: Sets them back.
1: Instead of the breakfast of champion, mom and dad are having a, you know, a big doobie for breakfast. It's like It's got to make some sense somewhere in the middle. Right. Some folks get it and some don't. And not that they're not trying. I don't think they, they're looking at the big picture, you know. We've had kids in the house, male and female, that we wouldn't let them go home because of the parents' behavior.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: I mean, why would you? Right. You're setting them up to fail. Right. You know, Mom's saying, keep up the good work, and she's doing exactly what you're in that facility for.
0: Wow. You know? Certainly, I would imagine poses challenges for you and for the facility as you're making decisions about the best interests of the kids, but also bearing in mind that they're still minors and still under their parental control, correct? I mean, there is that fine line that you have to walk. Yeah. How many recovery high schools are there in Massachusetts?
1: It's four now, four or five. And there's a couple more on the board. One, I think the next one might be on the Cape. There's one in Brockton. There's one on the North Shore.
0: And can you tell us a little bit about the, the two houses that you have for adults? You have a house for men and a house for women and a house for, I, I believe it's two houses for women, one? One for one. women.
1: We just opened it, and we have three for men. The new one is right across from St. Gregory's Church in Lower Mills in Dorchester. That motion was made 25 years ago to get a woman's house, and we just got it. We just opened it last month, maybe four months ago. No kidding. Young girls have actually at least caught up to the boys, you know.
0: In terms of use? Oh yeah. Percentage of use? Yeah. Is there a distinction between what boys tend to misuse and what girls tend to misuse in terms of substances?
1: The young women, they're gonna start be a little booze, a little smoking some dope, and then they're gonna get into the Percodan, Percocet. You can almost see the, the progression, and then mm-hmm. they'll, they'll go into the opiates when, and then things get too expensive, and the heroin gets, it's cheaper. Not with the fentanyl. Forget it. One bad mistake, you're done.
0: Right. No, it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. There's a lot of dispute about whether or not there is this concept of gateway drugs. So whether or not alcohol or marijuana, sort of the more common types of drugs, are gateway drugs for use of more potent substances down the road.
1: I'm smiling because I'm from a different world. I know that. But it's like, I never heard anybody say, as it's a young person hey let's let's get some fentanyl, you know let's get some heroin they there's something that leads up to it you know, it just didn't didn't happen to be going by right yeah, you know. so there are gateway things, whether people agree with it or not, that's their business
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean i don't see anybody that's the average kid in the street saying, Let's get a bag of heroin and let's shoot up
0: we hear from from kids and from parents that One of the things that's pervasive in our culture is parents wanting their kids to have their first drink under their roof, under their supervision, or to get them ready for college by having them drink before they go off to college and making sure they can handle it, quote unquote. We know from the statistics that we have from the Youth Risk Behavior Survey that's administered in Hingham that a fair amount of kids party in people's basements with or without parental knowledge. Sometimes parents even provide the alcohol. So do you think that adults, parents, treat alcohol in a different way from other substances? Do you think that there's a different perception of risk with alcohol?
1: I personally would like to think that they would be the parent and they'd make the tough decisions they have to make rather than just continue to make these conceptions. You know, I mean, they're giving kids bad information. You know. Maybe they were fed that kind of information. You know, it comes in, that manifests itself in the form of kids getting drunk and driving and dying in car accidents and the behavior. Like you said, half of the kids in their freshman year of, in college, if it's a party school, they drop, they're done before they even get by the first semester. Mm-hmm. So are mom and dad going to sign off on that too? Right. You know, I'm just, it just doesn't make sense to a guy like me, you know. I remember my dad saying to me years ago, he says, I'm your father, I'm not your friend. Mm. I'm going to make decisions that I think are right. I'm not really interested in what you think right now. Maybe when you become an adult, but other than that, it ain't happening. And guess what? I became my father.
0: Have you ever had any personal experiences where um, your, your children have been placed in a position where they've been offered alcohol and you've had to say something on their behalf?
1: Yes, I have. In fact, when the boys were playing high school hockey and stuff, they had a party because they won the championship, and the father... Took it upon himself to, in his view, let every, all the kids that were there drink. And I, cause I got wind of it. So I went down. I told my two stars, let's go. The Party's over. They weren't happy about it. But I don't need somebody else telling my kids, contradicting what I'm trying to show them. Right. And, in fact, it was ironic. Did you ask? On the way home, one of the cheerleaders got in a little fender bender because she was stiff. You know? And they could have went right back and... Sue the hell out of the parents that thought they were doing the right thing. The parents might think they're doing the right thing, but they should rethink their thought processes.
0: One of my former colleagues at Hingham Care, she's now working with Chris Herron, she says that it's sort of the height of arrogance for parents to think that they can provide children with alcohol or any other substance, but primarily it's alcohol, and think that they're going to know how that child's going to handle it. So to your point, that cheerleader was provided with a substance by another parent, got into an accident, thankfully it wasn't worse than it actually was, it was a bit arrogant for that parent to think that it was okay for that young girl to have alcohol, to partake in a substance. So I think parents need to be thinking about that in addition to the liability issues, you have social yeah. host laws and all kinds of other things in the on the books. I mean, at some point you've got to be the parent. We have a, a newly formed parent partners group. It's a group of about 12 parents who have kids in the Hingham schools all very on board with our mission, all very concerned about their kids and their kids' decision-making processes and keeping them healthy. And one of the things that we talk about as Hingham Cares and uh, staff and board members is providing these parents with cover to do just that, providing them with cover so that they feel supported in speaking up. Because you're very outspoken. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You're not afraid
0: to speak your mind. You're not afraid to stand up to another parent, which is commendable. A lot of parents don't feel that way or don't behave that way. It's a little bit more difficult, more challenging. They don't want to be thought of as the the parent that is, uh, you know, the one raining on everyone's parade. They don't want their kids to be socially ostracized. So they tend to hold back a little bit, and we want to be able to provide them cover. We want to be able to provide them with information that they can share with other parents, and we want them to feel confident doing exactly what you just did, or you just said you did with your kids, to say no to the other parents, to say no to your kids. It's important, like you said, to be the parent and not be the friend.
1: I mean, that doesn't mean your child isn't going to try it and experiment anyways. Right. But you're not going to give them the the green light to just go ahead and Right. Do what you want. You know, and then when they get in trouble and you end up in the police station, and say, how'd you end up here? Like you said, I could do this. A lot of the parents just don't know any better. They need to be educated too. Right. Because there was nothing in place when they were growing up.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. We say all the time that we, I mean, no parent wants to place their child in harm's way. So I think a lot of it is misinformation. A lot of it is this hereditary information that's passed down from generation to generation. I'm sure when you were growing up, alcohol there was no real stigma associated with it. Tell us what your life was like growing up with your parents and your family. Was it, was alcohol use pervasive?
1: My my siblings, it was pretty good. The rest of the family, we have a big family. It was completely out of control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've lost. We've lost plenty of the uncles to booze at the time, and there's still some. And recently, we've lost two or three kids to overdoses. Wow. You know, and you know, one of them... Graduated from school, he was playing football. Had two master's degrees. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, you go to the well one too many times. You know, one was an accident, one was an overdose. One of the young ladies overdosed down Mass and cast. You can you, I don't know how you can prevent it. I really. I wish I, I knew. I wouldn't care if you chained him to a radiator mm. rather than have him see see them die. Right. Yeah.
0: So you consider yourself one of the more fortunate members of your family to have. Taken your sobriety journey. Yeah,
1: but there's about six or seven of us in recovery.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there were one piece of advice that you would want every teenager to hear, every young person to hear with regard to substances, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Look at every piece of educational material you can get. And when you make your decisions, make them wisely. Now you're better educated. You can see what can happen. You're going to see what your friends can some of them won't finish school. Some of them will get scholarships and lose them. It's all kinds of negatives that go with it. So look at the big picture. You know, big picture is a big thing for the kids. Mm. I get it. But if if you're one of the unfortunate ones that starts to play and you you got to it's going to take you one way or the other. It'll, you either get in recovery or eventually you're going to lose everything that you care about.
0: Right. Right. And it's so risky because you don't know how you'll respond to a particular well, and substance.
1: you touched on it earlier. Then I will just keep on telling you you're okay. Right. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. Your circle will get smaller because everybody will start looking like you. Water seeks its own level, and everybody who uses it has a problem. Anybody that's healthy is not going to stick around. Right. It's like, uh-uh. This isn't going to have a happy ending at the end of the night.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of isolation that goes along with the disease.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um. And then if there were one piece of advice that you would want every parent to hear, what would that be? What would you say to parents?
1: First, I'd say education. Then I would say, make sure you know where your child is. Be a little diligent. Mm-hmm. You know if they're not coming home, if they're coming home late, if the police are bringing them home, might be a signpost. <laughs> you might want to take a peek at it, rather right. than keep your head in the sand so yeah, they're be, in- gonna love me.
0: be involved <laughs> no this is all so practical just like nuts and bolts it is it's simple yep. it's,
1: it's not rocket science some people want to make it that way but it's not Right. the solution I don't know I don't know if there ever will be a solution some people are just going to continue to you know I mean if you look at the stats it's, I think 9 out of 10 people don't even get into recovery mm. you know where are their lives nobody wants to look at that Right. You know, what are their families tend to do? You know, where's Ma? You can't depend on her. She doesn't show up. she shows up, she's drunk. You know, dad doesn't live anymore. Why? You know, look at the big picture.
0: Right. I've I, heard that someone That sounds
1: real it. negative, but if you don't look at the, all the particulars, how are you going to get the, any kind of a solution?
0: Exactly. Yeah. I spoke with a doctor who's the head of addiction medicine at Social Health, and he referred to alcoholism or alcohol misuse as a silent epidemic.
1: Oh, there's no question. Nobody wants to look at it. Right. I mean, if you think about it, everybody drinks. Some people just drink to excess. Some people can drink and have no problems whatsoever. My hat's off to them. But everybody doesn't fall in that category.
0: Exactly. Can you share with us any of the success stories that you know of, kids who've come out of the school? 50%
1: of the kids coming out of the school recovery high schools go on to higher education. These kids weren't even making it in school. That's they were dropping out of school. Right. You know, so now they're going on to college. 90% of them graduate. I don't think you get that much of a success rate in a regular high school. Wow. You can see it works. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's worth the time. It's worth the effort. You know, we've, we've had a lot of them. Like I said, you know, the young lady last year, she was, she's going to Tufts. She's got a full ride. She's that bright. One young man, he ended up going to... Uh, to West Point. I mean, there's a lot of things. These, they're not stupid people. It's amazing. You know, there's another individual I talked to just the other day. He spent a couple of years at Mass and Cass. And he ended up, he had his own tent, his own little setup. And I foolishly asked him, because he was always bumming money, and I said, How much can you make on a day? He said, Four, five hundred bucks. I'm looking like, I have to get all my old clothes out and get on there and make a few bucks. But I mean, they're creative. I mean, imagine living at Mass and cast for two years. I mean, how do you even survive?
0: That, well, that's what the addiction has done to them. Oh, so yeah. that and four or $500 a day is not going to... Oh, no.
1: I mean, you gotta, people don't realize items. they have to shoot up four to six times a day. Right. It's like, where's that coming from? Right. You know, and then you've got the problems of Mass and calves, You know, And they've, they've tried some different things, but it's like, it, it's just a horror.
0: So with kids in school that are accessing substances... Those substances typically are coming from their peers, correct? Has that been yeah. your experience? Yeah,
1: and someone's given it to them. Mm-hmm. They were probably in their position at one point, and now they make them deals. And then they, there's a whole chain of command.
0: Right. But you've talked a lot about the importance of education, the importance of parental involvement, the importance of prevention, um, keeping kids away from substances. And um, those are all really critical components to making sure people don't end up in those situations later on in life,
1: I view my role as a parent completely different than some folks, evidently. If I can prevent somebody from going down that road, especially my children, that's what I'm going to do.
0: So, where can people find out more about the William Ostagai High School and they the other can recovery high schools? Go to
1: the William J. Ostagai Recovery High School.com and everything will come up. The graduating classes from for the last 16 years, the scholarships, the school itself. How do you? The interview process, everything will come up. The other thing you could go you could go on the Gavin Foundation okay. website. They do the substance abuse piece in the school. Every morning the kids meet, they have a they talk, they see a substance abuse counselor, they walk them through the whole process. So mm-hmm. they really they've got a pretty good layout for the whole thing.
0: That's before getting into the academics.
1: When they do graduate, I'm glad that you brought that up. The graduation their diploma is reads. The high school that they came from.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So the so they won't walk into college and have stigma again.
0: They get bus there and then get.
1: They take transportation. Okay. It's on Temple Place, which is between Washington and Tremont, right near the Boston Common. Mm-hmm. I, I take my hat off to the teachers. It's just until the kids really get on their feet, they're not happy campus.
0: Right, and you're dealing with kids with in all different phases of. Oh, they all, the all good recovery. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I like it. <laughs>
0: i want to thank you again for joining us willie for this enlightening conversation it's been a pleasure to have you here with us we all want to do what we can to keep our kids safe and healthy thank you you've been listening to substance free 02043 brought to you by hingham cares i'm your host kristin arut and i hope you will join us again for more info or to get involved go to hinghamcares.org.